We read scripture from the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, beginning reading at verse 10, and we read into chapter 8 through verse 7. In this way, we bring to a conclusion the series that we've been taking up on the Song of Solomon during the occasion of the Lord's Supper. Chapter 7, beginning at verse 10, we hear the inspired word of God. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell, and at our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. O that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breasts of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I would not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love until he please. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raise thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. And then here follow the words of our text. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath the most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask the question, what is love? The Song of Solomon has been talking about love, and we've seen the challenges that Solomon and the Shulamite experienced. Challenges with regard to that love, as well as joys. The book is talking, we know, about something greater, the wonder of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. A love so marvelous, a love so wondrous, that it has no beginning and no ending. From eternity, God set his love upon his church, and God will continue to preserve his saints to all eternity. Jesus Christ has embraced us as a church of Jesus Christ with an everlasting love. And how can we begin to understand or to fathom the marvelous character of that love? How can we explain it? What words can be used for it? Sometimes we talk about the fact that love is a bond of friendship. We talk about love as that which involves giving, that we give of ourselves for the sake of others. Now in chapter 8 here, in the Song of Solomon, love is set forth in comparison to death. Love isn't just as strong as a great animal, perhaps an elephant or a mighty beast. Love isn't as strong as some huge truck 
or some bulldozer that has tremendous might. No, love here is compared with death. Now that's startling. Love is strong as death. Those who enter into the realm of death stay there. Death holds them. Death never loses its focus. Death doesn't take bribes. You can't pay death to give back those loved ones that death took. The power of death is such that it holds individuals and there's no escape from it. That's the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. A love so marvelous and so powerful that it takes hold of us and none can escape it. We come to the house of the Lord this morning with a desire that God would give us to know the power and the wonder of that love. We come with shame. We know our sinfulness and we know our sin. We know our unworthiness. Sin battled hard against us in this past week and we failed. Some of us experience tremendous trials, death, struggles and sorrows in this earthly life. We gather in order to know the wonder of the love of God. And we take as our theme, love as strong as death. Noting, first of all, that love. Secondly, the seal that's spoken of here. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. And then finally, the value that it's so precious that if a man would give all the substance of his house, it would be utterly condemned. Love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. This is the Shulamite speaking now. And as the Shulamite is speaking to Solomon, she describes and explains the wonder and the power of the love of God. The book of Solomon, we know, is about that love. It's about the marvelous character of that love. And that love is reflected in a marriage. It's evident between a man and a woman whom God unites in that holy bond. We know that love has its source in God. The only possibility of a couple walking in love is because God first loved them and that God works that love within them. What then can we say about the love of God for His bride, His church? That love, again, is strong as death. Let's delve into that a little bit deeper. There's nothing stronger that we know than death. Who can undo, who can defeat the power of death? Perhaps you have a loved one who falls in your home and you don't know what the reason. You call 911. Immediately, the first responders are able to come. They transport that loved one to the hospital. The doctors, the nurses are working on that one. Even though we're able to get the best medical help, Who can say no? Who can stop death from coming? When death comes for your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your father, your mother, we are powerless to chase death away. All our desires fail. We can pray. We can pray for a miracle even, that God would work a wonder. But death will have its way. And there's nothing you or I can do about it. Related to that, Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The grave never tires of swallowing individuals up and receiving them. 
When we think of jealousy, usually we think of something negative, a negative emotion, an unwillingness to share something that ought be shared with others. Maybe we get jealous because someone is spending more time or more attention with someone else, our sibling, than with us. Or we get jealous because we think someone else has a better life than we do. We're familiar with sinful jealousy. But there are some things in life that are not intended to be shared. And there's a legitimate jealousy then that rises. And that's what this is speaking of here. A legitimate jealousy in the sense that God, for instance, gives us children. He calls us to raise them. If someone else would come and say, give us your children, we'll raise them on your behalf. We would insist no with a Godly jealousy, we would say, these are our children entrusted to us. We have the calling and the obligation to train them up in the fear of God. There's a godly jealousy in marriage. God gives husbands and wives an intimacy that's so precious that it cannot be shared with anyone else. You belong to your spouse. Your spouse belongs to you. Now, we realize that doesn't mean that we can't ever be apart from one another. It doesn't mean that we can never do anything or speak to anybody else without our spouse's approval. We also realize it doesn't mean that we are intended to meet all of our spouse's relational needs. But loving someone means you have a unique relationship with that one. And that's the jealousy of which our text speaks. There's an intimacy there. There's an intimacy that is deep. There's an intimacy that can't be shared in that sexual bond. And your spouse knows your struggles unlike anyone else. No one else can delight in your joys like your spouse can. Now Solomon goes on, or the Shulamite goes on, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy, cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath the most vehement flame. That love is described as coals. We're familiar again with coals. Coals stay hot, and they stay hot for a long time, and they retain that heat. And one can blow some air on them, and pretty soon can get another fire going again, even after those, those coals have sat all through the night. The love of Jesus cannot be quenched. It's as those coals that continue to retain their heat. They are not quickly put out. That love burns within us as that which spreads that flame. If prompted and asked, what does it mean that you love me by our spouse? If we simply say, well, I suppose I love you. I think I do. That's not the right perspective that the book here is emphasizing. Love means not that, oh, we share some choice, chores, we share some responsibilities, and we each do what we're supposed to do. The Bible speaks of love as a flaming fire, as coals that are within us, that extend through all the aspects of our relationship, that cannot be quenched. And it's a jealous love. It's a love that desires and holds close. The love of Jesus is that flame that burns within us. It is vehement for us. It cannot be put out or denied. And that love of Christ endures. 
Water can put out a fire. Water cannot quench this love. And again, that goes on in verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. There are times when it feels as though our fire has been put out. It feels as though our love has limits. And we can only do so much. And we can only stretch it so far. doesn't seem like there's anything more we can give. We feel that we've been drowned. It's gone. The point of these illustrations, beloved, is to emphasize the wonder and the power of the love of God. God's love is such that it cannot be extinguished. God's love is such that it cannot be put off. Nothing can break the power of that love. Jesus overcame the power of death. He did so on Calvary. He overcame the power of death, the power of the grave, and he was able on the third day to rise again from the dead. Death is the passage into the most full and glorious expression of the love of God now for God's children. That's the wonder of the transformation that our Lord Jesus Christ has performed. That love of Jesus Christ is unbreakable. And it pursues those who are its objects. The sinner foolishly thinks, I can run away from God. Foolishly he thinks, I can try to deny that there is a God and then I won't have to deal with any of the consequences of my sin or the judgment that come upon me. And so he holds to his sin, refuses to confess it, and denies there's going to be any consequences. He tries to run away from family, maybe even run away from the church. The love of God in Jesus Christ will pursue that one. The love of God in Jesus Christ is stronger It's jealous as a coal that cannot be extinguished. And that love as a flaming fire will continue to work shame and guilt until that elect sinner is brought to repentance. The love of God in Jesus Christ cannot be denied. Everyone given to the Father will be saved. That love of God in Jesus Christ penetrates our souls. It causes all of our struggles, all of our trials to be subject to it. And it's everlasting. It's eternal. The love of God in Jesus Christ will bring to the fullness every last one of those who are its objects and will bring them into the joy and the blessedness that God has ordained. Now, there's many applications of this to our relationships, to marriage, Your wife, my wife, needs to know she occupies that single place of affection, a place that no one else in my life has. The love to which God calls us in marriage is a power. It has its source in God. We're weak, but He is strong. He's our strength. And as we live out of that love, we show that love toward the neighbor by the power of God in Jesus Christ. And we love one another. We love one another with this fiery, burning love. This love that cannot be contained. Now God gives us His Word. He gives us the sacraments to assure us that we have that love in our hearts by the wonder of God's goodness. And by the Word and by the sacraments, 
gives us then that assurance in order that we might live out of the enjoyment of that love. Without that assurance, we would fall into despair and hopelessness. Having examined ourselves in this past week and looking at our own life and our own walk, there's shame, there's guilt that rises up against us. And we cry out with the Shulamite to God, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thy arm. We look for a few moments at that seal. What is a seal? And what's the picture here? The bride is coming from the wilderness. The first time we heard of her coming from the wilderness was in verse was in chapter 3, when she's coming alone in anticipation of her wedding. Now she's no longer alone. Now she's coming leaning on her beloved, according to verse 5. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? With this new life, she notes now what she's been given. And through the book, she's expressed that. She lives with Solomon and the beauty and the glory and the wonder of the palace that he occupies, the wealth that he has. She lives with a man who's known for his wealth and for his wisdom, who's famous. She's enjoyed intimacy with this man, and that's come out in the references to the garden. We saw that in the last part of chapter 7. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish. They enjoyed sexual intimacy. She is her beloved's. Her beloved's desires are toward her. But what's the greatest desire of this woman? As she knows wealth unspeakable, as she knows fame and honor because she lives with the king, and as she enjoys intimacy with him, there's something more that she desires. None of that satisfies. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thy arm. She needs to occupy a place in his heart that belongs to no one else. She wants love. And she wants to know the wonder of that love. And know the marvelous character of that seal that is set upon the heart of her beloved. Now again, beloved, this is striking. What is it that satisfies? Not wealth, not power, not honor, not even the sexual relationship. It's love. I need to know that I'm loved. That's desire that she has. She's saying to Solomon, I'm thankful for everything that you've given, thankful for everything that I have, but I want you to set me as a seal on thine heart, as a seal upon thy arm. Make it plain. You love me. And make it public so that everybody else knows it. Now, a seal, as you're familiar, would be that which someone would use to sign their documents and would identify this document belongs to this individual so that there could be no question concerning the origin or the property of that individual thing. It belongs to that one. She's saying to Solomon, make clear I belong to you, that I am stamped on your heart. And then makes the reference to the arm. What does that all mean? The heart is the inner spiritual source of an individual. She wants to know that he loves her from the heart. That it's not ulterior motives that are directing or governing him. And how would it be evident that he 
seals her on his heart, that he loves her from the heart. It's going to be evident in his actions, his conduct, and perhaps that's the reference to the arm. Set me as a seal upon thine arm. No one can see the heart. No one can see the fleshly seal upon your heart, but your arm is evident and others can see that. Perhaps a bracelet, a ring, whatever it would be that would be evident so that all those around would be able to see a sign of the love that you have for me. Make that love not only known to me from the depths of your heart, but make it public so that there's a public commitment that others also see evidence that I am the object of your love and your devotion. Beloved, this is the wonder of the love of God toward us this morning. We come to God with this desire. After having experienced the difficulties, the challenges, the trials of this past week, And having gone through what we did this past week, we now come and we cry out, set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thine arm. In all the struggles of life, what is it that we need? We're thankful for food and for clothes. We're thankful for honor, for glory, for fame to a degree. We're thankful for everything God gives us in this life. But more than anything, we need to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. We cry out, set me as a seal upon thine heart. Without the assurance of the love of God, we would sink into despair. There would be no hope. Without the love of God, life cannot be lived. The sorrows of this life cannot be comforted or overcome. The fears of this life would take hold of us and would swallow us. God sends sufficient trials, they would overwhelm us. The life of the child of God is battling against that old man of flesh. We become fragile. We become weary in the struggle. And easily, beloved, we would look back just at this past week or the past weeks and we would conclude, God's love is obviously not with me. If God did love me, things would have went differently than they have over the course of the past weeks, the past month. Obviously, God does not care about me. I don't have the assurance of that love that he has. Beloved, we need Christ to assure us that we are pressed into his heart and that the love of God in Jesus Christ is ours. And so we cry out, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. And God responds through his word and with the sacraments. Through his word, God says, I've set my seal upon you. From eternity I've done so. Ephesians 1, Romans 9. And I will continue to preserve you and to keep you to all eternity. God assures us in His Word that He has come to us even when we were enemies. And He's set His love upon us. And that that love is that by which He will preserve and keep us forever. That he's inscribed our names upon his palm and he holds us ever before him so that he will never forget us. He will never lose sight of us. Such is the love that God has for us. And he gave these names, every last one of them, to his own son. And Jesus Christ laid his life down for each one of the sheep whom the Father had given him. Christ says to his beloved bride, You are mine. I love you. 
And I have taken you. And I have set you as a seal upon mine heart. And I am working all things together for your good. And I will bring you into the fullness of the joy that you're going to experience. And I'm going to do it through death. Death cannot hold. Death cannot oppose that love that I have for you. As a matter of fact, death is going to be the means by which you're going to be able to know the fullness of the joy of that wonder. That's the wonder that we hear, beloved, this morning. As God gives us the word and he gives us the sacraments that speak to us concerning that love with which he loves us. We can hear the Shulamite asking this of Solomon. And we feel the weight of it as we ourselves take it upon our lips. We've failed many. There's a weight on our hearts at times that's impossible to bear. Set me. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. As a seal upon thine arm. I can't live without the assurance of the love of my heavenly Father for me. I can live without food and bread and without clothing, without a warm place for a time. But this I desperately stand in need of. And that value, the wonder of it, is set forth here. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly condemned. What's the point there? You can't buy the love of God in Jesus Christ. The love of Christ is not something that can be purchased. You don't have anything that could satisfy. If you would take everything you own and you would try to sell it, it's not going to be sufficient. Your life and your walk and your conduct, and you would say, look at all I've done. It's not going to cut it. The love of God in Jesus Christ is so precious, it's so valuable, that it's free. It's that which God freely gives, full and undeserved. It's a gift. A gift of God's grace. And with that perspective, we look at the supper. Through the supper, God gives us to know the wonder of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It's nothing we deserve. It's nothing we've earned. There's nothing we could do to attain or make ourselves worthy of it. It's a free gift. And by that gift, God gives us faith and He sets His love on our hearts. Now this passage sets a high bar with regard to earthly marriage. But we realize we need to look beyond marriage. At its very best, earthly marriage cannot and will not satisfy the desire that God has placed in the hearts of His children. A desire within us for a love that is so powerful that nothing can break it. A love that is on fire with a vehement flame. Marriage is wonderful. We're thankful for the institution of marriage. But it was never intended to satisfy this desire that God has worked in the hearts of His children. If marriage is all we have, even the best of marriages is going to leave us unsatisfied. In this fallen world, we face all kinds of temptations and we fall far short of that standard that God has set. Even the best of marriages involve pain and difficult experiences, times when love grows cold, times when we struggle 
We know and we look to God to rekindle that love, knowing He's able to do far exceedingly above anything that we can imagine, even in the harshest of situations. But even if God has never given us to marry, or if our marriages have been broken by God through death, through divorce, even though parents die and that relationship is broken, even if we don't have any earthly relationships precious to us, you have this which satisfies. In Jesus Christ, you have a love that cannot be broken. In Jesus Christ, you experience a love that is on fire and a friendship that burns and pursues. In Him, you have one who is jealous for you and will not allow the devil or anything else to sever you from the wonder of that love. What did Jesus do, beloved, to preserve and to keep us as his spouse? It was not enough simply for him to come to earth and to humble himself. He had to do more than that. And he did more than that. As he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. John 15, verse 13. He didn't just give us a nice earthly life and perspective to follow. He lived it. And he lived it in our place. And then, in order to pay the penalty of your and my sins, to restore broken fellowship with God, he went to the cross. And he made atonement. He satisfied the justice of God for all of our failures to love God and to love the neighbor as we ought. At the cross, he made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf, experiencing hell in our place. Death brings to an end earthly relationships and marriages. But death could not hold our Lord. He came up from the wilderness of the tomb with his chosen bride. His church leaning on him radiantly. Fear not, you are mine. I have set my seal upon your heart and I will preserve and keep you as mine to all eternity. Nothing can separate you from the wonder of my love. Beloved, the love of God pursues us. That love of God finds us in all of our loneliness and brokenness and failure to love Him. And that love of God satisfies. Jealously, He calls us to Himself. And by His Spirit, restores us, strengthens us. And he gives us a love that we cannot begin to put a value on. The Bible calls us to respond to this wonderful love with thankfulness. Beloved, that's what we do in the whole of our lives. As we stand before the wonder of this love of God, we are humbled. We confess our sin, our unworthiness. And we live for him. We pursue His will. We find at the cross something that is greater than faith and hope. What is the greatest of these? Love. We find love. And not death. Not the flooding of great waters. Not fire. Nothing can overcome the power of that love. And so, beloved, by faith we eat and we drink. By faith we lay hold on the wonder of this love. And by faith we seek to live out of it as thankful children pursuing Him, pursuing His will in all things, and blessed with that which passes 
all understanding and gives us peace and joy. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what wondrous love Thou hast shed abroad in our hearts, a love stronger than death, a love by which Thou dost set Thy seal upon us, and cause, Lord, that we might know the wonder of that love, that we might live out of it, and that as we partake by faith of the sacrament, we might be assured of the power of that love in our lives as we live unto Thee. Forgive us and bless us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.